There we go. I don't know why it was. <laughs> I can't whistle. All right. Charge. Charge. What up? Nothing. JVZ. Oh, we're actually recording. You want it? Yeah, well, well, let's just go into it. Let's what the do fuck? Brawl. Like a raw, raw, mm-hmm. or at least that's like a, my veggies. Jamie Z, what's up? What's going on? Nothing. This is a uh, trash house street. Trash house. It's a very unique episode. Mm-hmm. Very different. It's it's something along the lines of a clip show. Mm. Even though they're clips, for the most part, you have not heard yet. Yeah, not at all. So seventy-two, episode seventy-two. Okay. Part one. I had episode seven, ex or uh, question mark question mark. Oh. Mm. I wasn't sure. I don't know either. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. It doesn't matter. Wow, we're a minute in. Um, so basically, two episodes ago... Do tell. Um, <laughs> well, this was super expansive, and we had some segments. We had some stuff we had to cut. So that's going to be in this episode. Cool. Along with sort of a little unique, we're going to have some fun, some games. Some... Oh, yeah. We're going to play some cornhole. <laughs> cornhole, horrible. <laughs> so... You want to get right to it? Let's get right to it. All right. Um, I have a couple newer things. Oh, what do you do tell? Um, the reason I've heard of this before, it's been on my, um, in my uh, a bunch of emails been sent out. So and I'm like, I'll check it out. And uh, Christina Michelle from uh, Galgeway uh, uh. specifically like has mentioned how great Slow Pistol Fire is and how much she likes them. So I'm like, oh, I'll check out this this split by Portrayal of, Guilt, Portrayal of Guilt out of Texas and Slow Pistol Fire out of Atlanta, Georgia. And this came out February 18th of 2020. It's off a run for cover, and it's just a two-track split. Portrayal of Guilt. Their song is called The End of Man Will Bring Peace to This Earth. And it's very noisy, grindcore, hardcore. Kind of hits on all those genres. Um, has this doomy-sounding bass line going through it. The breakdown, slow it down with these snarled and growled vocals. And it's more or less song a song about how we are destroying the earth, and we will soon be distinct, or, extinct. <laughs> It's very different, and it's happy-go-lucky. Yes. I really like that one a lot. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's interesting. It's, yeah, yeah. It almost reminded me a little bit of Cloud Rat, the tiny, tiny bit. A little bit, yeah. Not as grindcore, but... Mm. Uh, and then Slow Pistol Fire on the side B, or side A, I'm not sure, because I don't have the vinyl in front of me, the record. Uh, Heart of Discernment. And it's kind of screamo, emo, melodic, hardcore. It has this uh, Defeater and Touche Amore feel. The guitars also have this like kind of like slightly doom riff going on, and there's some spoken and screamed vocals. Um, it's interesting, uh, interesting sound. Uh, it makes me want to check out more of their stuff. And I guess the song is more or less about opening your uh, your mind and eyes up, and wishing others could as mm. well to the surroundings around them. Yeah. And it, it was decent. It's an, it's interesting. It was yeah. just kind of a, so if you like noisy, grindy, hardcore emo, give it a shot. I like both tracks. I like the first one more, I think, okay. actually. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot more metal. Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah. Metal! Um, and then I have um, Galgeway. Mm-hmm. Galgeway has come out with a new 7-inch uh, with the song Consider, and they have a cover of a Wave of Mutilation mm-hmm. by the Pixies. Yeah. And it was out on De- uh, Death Wish, and this comes out, it's pre-order, it comes out in late March. Um, it's a solid single. I heard them play, the, play it live mm-hmm. the last time I saw yeah. them, 
at the Lifetime show, and it kind of begins with this like offset guitar, and it's like a heavier, noisier song in the vein of like how Burnt Sugar was. Then it kind of turns slower, and it has like muffled and fuzzy vocals in the bath mm -hmm. background, and it's good. I need to yeah. listen to it a little more. And then uh, the Wave of Mutilation cover is um, Pixies, yeah. and it's done very awesomely, at least when I heard it live. Yeah, I couldn't hear it here. Yeah. Actually. But the first song I loved a lot. Yeah, like, it's really like, good. I love Gouge Away. They're fucking um, awesome. Love everything they do, or have loved everything they do so far. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a, a couple of new things I just wanted yeah. to... Yeah, and I said that was due out in late March. Ah. <laughs> so. So let me tell you about this little rabbit hole I went to before we get to the main event. Okay. Yesterday. The main attraction. I sat down. Fuck the main attraction, Jamie. <laughs> mm -hmm. That would have been a good one to do, by the way. I almost did. What we thought would be a fun little thing to do is we're going to... Make gonna, sure my though. We're going to each be reviewing like a sort of an album we really like from from the archives, an old-timey album. Ooh, yes. So originally... From when we were baby trash. We were babies, <laughs> yeah. Goo -goo -ga -ga. Um, before podcasting was a thing. So originally I was going to do Moon Picks by Cat Power. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. You made it called an Audible. Okay. Stay tuned for that exciting reveal. I ended up watching some Moon Picks videos. There's really one crossbone style. Then I remember that Suo had a video out. Wow. Yeah. Then saw in the recommended, it was Cat Power, What's in My Bag. Okay. From 2013. Now Cat Power in 2013 had short blonde hair. Yeah, that's Like how Sarah I does. Them. Yes. So I watched it, and she is, Cat Power, Chan, is so fucking wacky. It must have been when she was super drinking or she is super high, because mm -hmm. she doesn't make any sense. She smokes through the whole thing, and she's like, she's like super fucked up. It is funny, like, the first thing she, she's like, she does is she pulls out two bananas from her bag. And she was like, this is my favorite album, but then she won't commit to the joke. It's a lot of that, and at one point she's like... Well, you know, you got to get up early and put on your makeup so people think you're, like, younger than 39. And it's just all over the fucking place. It's just weird. So that got me watching Sarah Silverman's show, What's in My Bag. Oh, oh that could be good. That went to Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Great. And finally spent the rest of the night watching Mazzy Star performances. <laughs> that, that, so I don't know where that was. And I almost started the same thing today. Like... Weirdly enough, everything I did and mm -hmm. reviewed yeah. melts into each other. Yeah. So. <laughs> but going from, like, Mazzy Star to Van Halen. It made no sense. It didn't. And then I started on another up. one before you came over that was weird. What so. was it? I don't even remember. Uh, um, it was a lot of, like, I remember a lot of Bikini Kill. Oh, okay, cool. And that led to some weird... I forgot that shit. they're touring. i got to look at yeah. those dates again. So do you want me to go first, or do you yeah, want to so, talk about the premise? So go in our, you can talk about the premise, retro review, if you want. Um, so Lou hit me up and said, hey, we have to, let's do something a little different, um, review one of your favorite albums, or album mm -hmm. you really like, and we'll just go from there. So I originally was going to do Angel Olsen's My Woman, because I don't think, I think I reviewed it, and I didn't mm -hmm. think I gave it a good enough review, mm -hmm. and then I kind of fell into the same trap with it. Where I it was almost like very heavily like heavily ended like top ended and the bottom half of that album kind of bores me because yeah. all, it's all the longer songs which are fine but it kind of first part's so good and the second part's not that it's not good it's just like takes a little longer and kind of loses steam mm -hmm. so anyway I decided to do the Pixies mm. Mm. do little oh. so I did a lot of research via Wikipedia 
So Doolittle was came out in 1989 off Electra. The Pixies are out of Boston, and this is their second album after Surfa. Surfer. Was, oh, really? Only their I, second album. I, I, I always thought this was their first album. No. Wow. Um, and obviously the title of Doolittle comes from lyrics in the song Mr. Greaves. Um, and this was uh, produced by Gil Norton, and it was on a $40,000 budget, and people were saying, oh my god, they're like putting mm -hmm. too much money into production. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Um, they released two single singles before the album came out, uh, Here's your, Here Comes Your Man and Monkey Gone to Heaven. Mm -hmm. I never really like... I know the lyrics. I never really dug into them. Yeah. Because this has been one of my probably top ten favorite albums of all time. Mm -hmm. So I just started looking up some stuff. And it, uh, I guess what Frank Black has said, lyrically, there's lots of surrealism and man's destruction of Earth and mm -hmm. biblical, biblical themes. Yeah. Well, I knew the biblical themes. So which deal is it? Is it Kelly deal or Kim deal? Kim deal. Okay. I, I couldn't remember which one was which yeah. one. I didn't feel like looking at it. They're twins. It's basically this. It probably just yes. changed out. So anyway, this... Awesome album, one of my favorite albums that they said. Uh, the Baser is the first single mm -hmm. off this, or first track. It's an awesome opening tra track, and it sets the mood of one of the greatest alt-rock records. Um, the Baser is based off one of Salvador Dali's 1929 films of Un Chien Andalou, which I did not know. That's mm. the whole slicing up eyeballs, I guess. Oh, something really? In, do. In, a, uh, in that film. Mm -hmm. And they, the guitars were actually layered in while they were recording it. Right. It starts with a really cool bass line, and I didn't realize how good uh, Kim Deal's bass, yeah. like like bass playing was, and the the drum works fantastic too. So debaser, tame, hips like Cinderella. Yeah, I was like, so wow. good. It's sexy. It's suave. It's just the really really cool drumming. I didn't realize how mm -hmm. awesome the drummer yeah. was until I heard. It. I was like, wow, this is really really cool. Wave of mutilation, as we talked about before. Do you know what wave of mutilation is supposedly about? Is it about the water rising? There's actually some, um, like some sea creature Cthulhuism going on. Uh, that he said that this is all w Wikipedia Frank Black, so uh, don't take it totally. But anyway, he said that it was about J Japanese businessmen doing murder suicides because of failing at their business. I don't know if I would have got that without. <laughs> There's a lot about the ocean. That's yeah. Another theme, like, yeah, that was one of the. A lot about the ocean. A lot about running away. Yeah. I... Here comes your man. No. Yeah. Well, here comes your yet. man. All right, sorry. Go. So, oh yeah, Wave of Mutilation. Very catchy guitar riffs. Mm -hmm. The vocals match the music because he sings it a little more softly. And this was one of the first Pixie songs I ever heard because I believe it was on the Pump of the Volume soundtrack. Oh, really? So I think that's what really got me into the Pixies. Um, I Bleed, awesome song, one of my favorite. Listening to this, I can hear how like Nirvana got inspiration from this with like yeah. it smells like teen spirit and in bloom love the bass line starting it out it's a slower song i like the dual vocals that can like contrasting with uh frank and kim deal mm -hmm. and just a really cool song here comes your man is probably my favorite yeah on the album it's catchy i love the both vocals it's the course is catchy as i really uh, like the solo like i forgot about the guitar solo in yeah great song. guitar work uh, it just reels me in and it's just like cracked for my brain i can't explain mm -hmm. it but i just yeah. love it Monkey Gone to Heaven. Imagine that religious tones. <laughs> it's the first song I ever heard. First really? Pixie song I ever heard. Not the first song I ever heard. I'm period. like hot and cold with Monkey Gone to Heaven. Um, I didn't realize I had cellos and violins e even like recently. You can hear straight up here, but I never like yeah. took. I, I really listened to the music mm -hmm. this like instead of the lyrics this yeah. time around, and I was like, wow, there's like a lot going on. Uh, Monkey Gone to Heaven. It's okay. I like the yeah. song. There, there were sometimes I disliked, and other times I yeah. liked it. There's just, like, mm -hmm. it's a, a decent song. Um, Dead. It's great. Um, apparently about David and 
Bethesba? It's some biblical story? Bathsheba. Bathsheba, but yeah, I can't read my own writing. Mm -hmm. I like how it's just, it, it kind of has everything, the bass and the drum and the guitar, they just blend together so well. And I like how the little chorus of, yeah, and it just changes the yeah. direction of the song to totally. Mr. Greaves, weird, cool song. It's like um, you're listening to a serial killer, right? Right, Mr. lyrics. Mr. Greaves, actually my favorite song in the album. That's one yeah. of my favorites. I like it as well. It's it's just so kind of crazy. It's yeah. like music in someone's head while they yeah. somebody. And that has a lot of like um, secrets. So some maladaptive daydreaming. Some friends. yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, Crackety Jones, very Spanish influence, probably my least mm -hmm. favorite song on the record. La La Love You. <laughs> so Frank Black said that the drummer, I forget his name, he made him, he's like, this is your Ringo Starr moment, yeah. <laughs> and gave him a song to sing, and uh -huh. he said ever since then he doesn't want to give up singing. Uh -huh. um, I like La La Love You, but I always think a of, bad association. of being pregnant with Victor, seeing the Pixies, and having that stupid drunk, drunk girl. La La Love! I'll never forget it. Yeah, I know. Baby number 13, straightforward alt song. That's all I could really say. Um, it's decent. I like it. Mm -hmm. There Goes My Gun, decent. The yo-ho kind of pirate kind of always turns yeah, me off. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> Although I have the word yo-ho and I was like, what What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, kind of weird. Um, hey is probably my second favorite song on the mm -hmm. album. Uh, very emotional, poetic, cool, like sexy, swaggy guitars. You have slow and sexy. And lots of whores. Oh. And every time I hear it, not because of whores, but I think of Jess. Like I, Jess always loved this song. It would play it, and I was—I yeah. I always mm -hmm. hear this song and think of Jess, which is kind of weird. Silver, very alt country. Kim Deal actually co-wrote it. Yeah. And it's very country-esque and kind of mm -hmm. like one of the more different songs on the album. And it ends with "Gouge Away" mm -hmm. to complete the circle. Just, yeah. And it's supposed to be about Samson and Delilah, like oh, background, really? which I, I don't know this until. Like well, Samson loses his eyes, I believe. Mm. And it's a very cool, weird baseline, and it's different, and it kind of ends on the way it began with, mm -hmm. like, it's, you know, kind of the similar to yeah. Debaser, and uh, it's a cool song. Yeah, I like this album a lot. Like, when Debaser, when the first, like, do 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 It's such a great album. Yeah. It's like a quintessential, like, essential, like, it alt-rock. Like, that should be, like, in the top five best alt-rock, uh, college well, rock a, albums. But that said, being said, this is the only album I really listen to from the Pixies. Oh, really? Like, I have Where Is My Mind from Surfer Rosa. See, I like And that, that's it. That's all I, I have. I like Surfer Rosa a lot. Rosa. These are what, like, Caribou and, like... I never uh, bought anything else. Down the River. and I have a whole bunch of stuff, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Doolittle, I, I just... It was, like... But Doolittle is, like, such an iconic album. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of my... All right. I thought I did a pretty good job. I actually, you did, like, yeah. researched and yeah. stuff. Yeah. All right, here we go. I don't know. So... Was gonna do moon picks. Okay. I mean, main attraction would have been great. I thought I told that was. We have to do like a Holly Go Lately retrospective or yeah. something. Once I get catched up on backlog. But I was like, fuck it. What album what? would I love what to talk about? And that would be, of course, The Woods by Slater <laughs> Kinney. Cool, cool. One of my favorite albums. This is uh, written on 2005. It was their seventh album. It's an album that actually killed the band for 10 years. Mm. They obsessively broke up after this for reasons, uh, many reasons, one of which being Carrie Brownstein having a nervous breakdown in Europe and hitting herself repeatedly in the face while in Belgium. While on stage. That's pretty it's a true awesome. story. That's awesome. <laughs> and then, like, Corinne said, I never want to fucking do this again. And uh, I think my brother makes the comment, 
They all said that this album almost killed them, and then they basically each went off and made albums that sounded a lot like this album. <laughs> yeah, I got I never fully gave it a true listen. So this is. Um, so sell me. All right, so this was their first album off Sub Pop. Okay. The only other album they had off Sub Pop was Noon Cities to Love. Okay. It's a very different album. It's it's very produ- not produced. It has more production because mm-hmm. they had a bigger budget than some of their other albums. It is a love letter to '90s guitar. Okay. And that sort of was very guitar driven. It has a very full sound. Extremely complex layered guitars. They like to do this like ascending descending staircase. Cool. Of music, very fuzzed out, very almost blues inspired at times. Hmm. A lot of psychedelica, some noise. The lyrics are fucking brilliant. Um, the Who drumming, wrote the majority of the, of the lyrics? I think you know? it's generally Corn and oh my god, uh, Carrie. Carrie, yeah, I can <laughs> just split the lyrics. So okay. actually, each no, right I, song. So that's who I would have figured, but I wasn't sure. So they share, you know, and they share vocals. They didn't do as much layering of vocals as they've done, but they'll each take turns singing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the drums are fucking nuts. And the the, the first song of the album, which kind of sets the table. Is the fox okay? Which opens with this very sing-songy, dissident guitar, and like at times it's more like a beatnik coffeehouse performance piece, like the way the drums and the guitar will fill, and it's a sort of a fable <laughs> about a fox and a duck, like a baby duck, okay. and it's either about. Uh, a girl falling in love with a bad boy, Ooh. or possibly colonialism. Because by the well, seriously, like the big thing about why is that funny? Because you're like, ooh, a girl falling in love with a bad boy. So, or the five reasons of why the 1812 war was fought. I mean, like, but basically, it's true. <laughs> by their own admission, their album about America, mm-hmm. and it sort of makes sense. And I could buy that one either. More impressment. I'm not. Yeah. American Whatever. soldiers. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's not, Adam Smith's wealth of nations may have played into play. I was thinking more with the, the noble Native Americans. Mm, okay. Go. Do tell more. <laughs> <laughs> then we go into Wilderness, <coughs> which is a fun little song. About the Roanoke. <laughs> about, no, it's sort of about the fetishization of Pacific Northwest culture. Oh, okay. um, sort of the idea that it's going to be this great thing, but the reality that it's not. And they mention um, Chelan, which is East Washington State. Yeah, I don't and know. And they talk about gentrification. And among other things, it's probably a lot more conservative than you think. This is when it really starts cooking. Okay. What's mine is yours. This very bluesy... Like, it reminded me like a bit of like something the White Stripes would do. Hmm. It's about two misfits being in love. It's probably like be about being in a gay relationship in a small town. Right, cool. And it has this really, like, so this is great. It has this really long, psychedelic guitar solo. It's the kind of stuff you will later hear on Wild Flag. Okay. Like a lot of stuff at the end of Domino. Like a lot of these themes did translate there. Wild Flag could have either been the album before the hmm. woods or the album right after the woods. And since two-thirds of Slater Kinney Yeah, I love, I love the Wild, Wild Flag. Flag. I know. And I do too. That's why I think you would dig this album if you were to listen to it. I will. All right. <laughs> will you? I will. Jumpers. Fun little song about suicide. I've talked about it before. Yes, I think Specifically you Specifically about jumping off the Golden Gate yes, Bridge. Yes, yes. Modern Girl. Eh. Yeah, there's always People songs. like it. I don't. Not, not my thing. 
Entertain, angriest song on the album, Super Angry. Rock, actually, the I believe the, the most played live song of theirs okay. for some reason. Selling out, or possibly their experience recording this album. Because hmm. it's sort of the idea of making art for art's sake or making art just to entertain and trying to manage the two. Interesting. Or it's about English colonialism in the 1812s. Uh, it's about French uh, Descartes. No. <laughs> I don't know. Roller coaster, sort of the anatomy of relationship. Starting out like all in love and shit and then tiring of each like other. Like the Red Hot Chili Pepper song. It, oh, like it's love roller coaster. Like it's it's a not cover. A, yes, it is a cover. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> on the War of 1812. <laughs> you know what? what? I don't know. You got a case of the sillies. Eh, um, at least it's not a case of the grumpies if you would have caught me about three hours ago. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all good. That's what that's what our third segment is going to be. The uh, yeah, case the of the discussion. Yeah. All right, skipping over that. Steep air. Okay. Is the penultimate song. It's an interesting song. It's basically about giving up on someone and doing your own thing. It's interesting because it has guitar riffs so grindy. You would literally expect fucking sparks to be shooting <laughs> out of the whole neck. It's like if you were running. Mm-hmm. And you had no cartilage in me. It was literally Ugh. bone grinding up. That's how sharp and like metallic these riffs are. It's like, like my insane. hip, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're getting old, Jamie. Yeah, I know. Old Twenty nine bo- sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I dread. I dread that birthday. In two years. <laughs> uh, all that stuff I just said. Yeah. Fucking. It's all bullshit. It's all <laughs> setting the table for the last song slash two songs in the album. Okay. I'm explain. The thesis statement of this album yes. is Let's Call It Love. Okay. Let's Call It Love. Let's Call It Well, maybe. You know what Let's Call It Love is about? A lesbian relationship. It's an 11-minute song about fucking. Okay. Pure and simple. But it is great. It's sort of like every lesson learned in this album, a song, album is in this song. Cool. Slash two songs, and I'll explain that in a second. So this okay. is 11 minutes. It opened up with a very throbbing, like, dirt, 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 heavy guitar. Like you fucking. This is sort of well. You get into it later in this like really raunchy riff, and then Corden starts belting out the fucking lyrics, mm-hmm. and then it like picks up in tempo and Carrie's singing. It's like she's trying to keep up like the army making out or something, and that's when they they hit the chorus probably three minutes in. Let's call it love. Then you go into this really long solo. So half the song is this really long. Noise, psychedelic noise solo. Okay. That gets super chaotic and just nutso. Then it kind of settles out there as an orgasm. Alright. So to speak, with like a, you know, the guitars go crazy and it's sort of disjointed. And then it picks up and it slides into the last song. Okay. So it's like the so, smoking of the cigarette. Well, no. So, so. Or crying. So the last two songs of the album are Let's Call It Love and a song called Nightlight. Which were originally a single 15-minute track. Okay. Nightlight, where, where, let's call it love, is this really raunchy, like, let's fuck and we're fucking and it's all good. Nightlight is this really heartfelt, heartbreaking song about being in love with someone and needing them so bad. It's very sweet and somber. <laughs> um, you might like it because it featured following somebody home. <laughs> I'm not. I like no. to research people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is it kind of reminiscent of like, let's pretend happy end? No, not quite like that not because quite it's as, still. Because it's just, that's just defeating. Because this song. is such a garagey album. 
where garbage is like electronica. Yeah. And but yeah, that sort of thing. So it's it's the ultimate garage album, very heavy guitar. Like the juxtaposition of like going into that song and then going into this song is like, wow. I know you've played it for me years ago. I just yeah. don't remember mm-hmm. it. I'm gonna grab another. Yeah. Now the here. the uh, the extended play. Yeah. Does have one other song, Ooh. which is everything. Okay. Which, it sounds a lot like roller coaster. So I can see why they didn't include it. But I would almost rather they had enter. Uh, I keep saying entertain everything at the end mm-hmm. rather than roller coaster in the middle because that one is very much like the cigarette. Because hmm. you do go into this really like long, this musical twin pairing of the two aspects of love, like Ooh. lust and Sorry. emotion, mm-hmm. and then it does give you because it does change gears and it does give you like a chance to kind of reset. Interesting. Like, literally nothing I could say about this album would do it justice. It's one of those albums, like, and I've been trying to think of albums that the first time I heard it, I was blown away, and I immediately started listening to that. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to think of other albums I've experienced that with. Because not even Garbage, I did. Um, version 2.0, I was. I was totally hooked. I think it was with 2.0. Um, not the first one. The first one, like... No, the first one, I, well, I heard Queer off it. Mm-hmm. And then I heard Happy, I'm Only Happy When It Rains, and I bought it, and then I couldn't stop listening to it. But I wasn't, like, blown away by every song, where mm-hmm. version 2.0, I think the only song that I really wasn't into was The Trick Is To Keep Breathing, which I love yeah. now, but uh-huh. I just... No, I agree. It and broke up the, um, and I don't even know what word I'm thinking no, of. No, I get the, like, the flow. Yeah. And no, I got it. No, the first Garbage, like, it just, it clicked for me one day, and then I couldn't stop listening to it. But this song, like, from the get-go, I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, a lot of the head codies, but it's totally different. Yeah. Like, it's all garage rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So, what other albums mm-hmm. have just, like, gripped me? Yeah, I'm actually having From a start hard time to, like, thinking, like, the, um, like, some actual Madonna albums back in the day really hooked me in. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Something to think about. Yeah. Think about. Maybe they'd be a topic in a couple mm. years. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. So, anyway... Uh, once again, it's time for the semi-biannual edition of Trash South Street Presents Trash South Street 2 One Hour Space Rock. And uh, I've asked to share my thoughts on uh, albums of the decade because I have particular thoughts uh, after reading lots of albums of the decade lists I was struck by how little rock music was on the lists specifically uh, what I like to think of as uh, guitar music it's certainly not a popular thing right now it's cramp rock and complaint rock and sad rock is all the thing I actually saw a write-up that was specifically referring to that kind of uh, music as the predominant rock music of the age. I guess that's just where we're at. We're in a soft soft rock kind of time, but I'm a hard rock kind of guy. I like trashy guitar space music, so uh, that's why I want to talk about it today. So uh, I think there are a lot of great rock records that came out in the last 10 years, and there's certainly some honorable mentions that aren't on this list from A Giant Dog and from... Uh, their compatriot band Sweet Spirit, and from X-Hex, and from Pup. Particularly great album that came out this year by Upset, and all kinds of great stuff happening in the last 10 years. But I'm going to talk about 
some other albums. So first off, uh, Philadelphia's own Perling Hiss put out Water on Mars in 2013. Mike Palizzi, who's the creative force behind Perling Hiss and has played with bands like Birds of Maya and Kurt Vile, probably most famously, uh, up until this point was making noise records with a guitar, but not super traditional songwriting. And then he put out Water on Mars, which is uh, full of lots of bummed out, quite frankly, downer guitar music, long songs, but with uh, particularly melancholy lyrics. And uh, I really like sonically scattered experimental noisy kind of music that he was making before this but i discovered that only after i heard water on mars and uh, his follow-up to water on mars uh, album called weird on only gets more bummed out but a great uh, mellow listen so i highly highly recommend you picking up water on mars or just listening to the song water on mars uh, which is like uh like a like an eight minute song with a six minutes of guitar and then two minutes of singing. The singing comes in super late in that one, but uh, really enjoyable. Uh, in the same vein of uh, slightly experimental and long form, and in this case even longer form guitar music, uh, I discovered the band Eternal Tapestry this decade and got really into their catalog. They're one of those bands that has just a hundred albums and if we were talking about albums of the last decade they put out an album called mystic induction which if you can pick that one up i highly highly recommend uh, but this decade their contribution to uh, the albums of the decade list is an album called beyond the fourth door and it sounds like probably what you would expect an album called beyond the fourth door would sound like it's long slow spacey uh, calm, dreamy guitar jams with saxophone and other instruments and very influenced by uh, Eastern, East, uh, East Asian sounds. And it's, uh, it's as much, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, uh, it's as much, it's as much trance music as it is guitar music. And I, I really like how listening to this super long form expansive not traditionally structured music lets your mind kind of drift and open up as opposed to really concentrating on a through line in a song you kind of swim in the ocean of the song and i think eternal tapestry is just ideal for that and i've listened to a lot of music like that uh this uh the last few years and this is definitely my favorite for uh, it always, always uh, mellows you out, and uh, huge catalog of that band, so a lot to dive into. Uh, if you listen to Trash Out Street, uh, you probably might expect something from Ty Siegel to be on a list like this, and quite frankly, Ty Siegel put out two albums that I'm going to talk about kind of as one contribution to the album of the decade, which is It's Cheating to say two albums equal one album on the album of the decade, but I cheat, so I don't care. Ty Siegel in 2010 put out uh, Melted, and then in the next year, 2011, he put out Goodbye Bread. Two amazing albums that back-to-back, -back, uh, especially to do them in back-to-back -back years, is, is quite an achievement. Most of the songs people think of as classic Ty Siegel, the songs that are probably going to be on that encore list, 
or you know the real bangers that that a lot of Ty Siegel fans know come from these two albums. It's just absolutely packed with hits. I initially was just going to talk about Goodbye Bread, and then I went back and I was listening to Melted and Goodbye Bread and Slaughterhouse, which is actually the the, the album that comes out third in this uh, progression of Ty Siegel music. And I just I was I totally forgot how many songs were on Melted too, as far as like the big Ty Siegel songs. Melted is kind of the closing of Ty Siegel's really brash garage phase i think of it as i think of it as kind of his um the nader of the garage rock punkier version of ty siegel probably the remnants of ty siegel as a solo act and then the ty siegel band and then goodbye bread starts bringing in the much glamier and uh, beatles influenced and classic rock influenced sounds there's a lot more acoustic guitar, a lot more singing, and a lot more mixing of tone. It's not all just loud, straight-ahead music. It's it's a lot more introspective sounds and sweet sounds from, from Ty Siegel. The thing that really struck me, too, especially, the two things really struck me going back and listening to these. The first one is for a guy who is experimental like Ty Siegel, the songs are always there. Uh, songwriting's such a focus for Ty. I think pretty much anything he puts out, even when it's an album where he's trying to make a Krautrock album or where he's adopted a new persona with the Muggers or where he's making an album without guitar uh, with uh, First Taste, uh, he's always bringing songs first and foremost, and then exploring the experiment. Uh, and then the other thing, and I I think this is really key to understanding Ty Siegel, and I, it only just hit me. His songs are so, uh, so point of view driven. He's always basically writing songs about his point of view in things that happen. And I think sometimes you might think like some of those songs are trite, like... Uh, a song like Fanny Dog, which is literally about his dog, but he's writing about the things he does in his day and the people he knows and the experiments he's having, uh, experiences that he's having. And right now, uh, it kind of strikes me that like in this age of content creators, people, so many people are doing things just so that they can have a point of view on the thing that they did, and then they can create content from that point of view, like... I went to a, a business conference or I went to a, a, a female empowerment weekend so that I can then create content based around the female empowerment uh, business conference weekend, which was actually a specific example I literally just heard on the radio on my way over here. That's so backwards because you're, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse. Like he, the thing that's interesting is the point of view, not the experience. And so you might feel like his experiences are trite but his point of view is so well articulated and not trying to be anything but his own and it becomes uh, valuable and unique in that and I, I think been thinking about that a lot lately and I think Ty Siegel uh, is always putting that foot forward uh, and, and worth a listen so that's kind of almost you could put them almost as a double album even though they came out in two different years uh, 2010's Melted which is the banger and 2011's Goodbye Bread, which is kind of the start of uh, 
the next epoch of Ty Siegel where he's uh, mixing genres and writing more emotionally upfront music as opposed to just uh, hot music. In 2014, Screaming Females put out Live at the Hideout, and I was originally thinking that Ugly, the album that this was, they were touring when they did Live at the Hideout, would make my list because it's really the height of Screaming Females, I think, as a guitar band. I think that's really where the guitar is the most prominent voice in the band and then it's elevating all the other instrumentation and then the lyrics and singing are are in service of the guitar and then beginning with the next album it actually shifts to where they become a much more vocal driven band in my opinion but live at the hideout is not just ugly but the best of their catalog up until that point and it's been honed to that point it's a band that tours extensively and gets better on every tour and play you know at this point put out a number of albums and getting better with every album and this is really i think the payoff to all of those all of those efforts and uh lou looks like he might want to add something well you people probably know because it appears earlier in this podcast but what matt doesn't know is i actually put i believe castle talk is one of my top albums it's a and that's a that's definitely a great album, uh, and I think Castle Talk, Power Move, and Ugly are monster guitar guitar albums. They're really good. I think I I didn't choose Castle Talk because I think Ugly gets more more challenging as far as uh, longer songs and different uh, more dynamic songs, but there's definitely a lot of that era on this album. On, uh, on Live at the Hideout. And I think it's kind of a... I, I, I think I've said this to Lou, too, especially before he started listening to Screaming Females, and I'll say it and say to anybody, uh, it's one of those really obnoxious things where you go, you know, I don't... You know, Screaming Females, you have to see them live to get it. Because uh, they're a good band, but they're a great band live. And normally, I, I don't like when people say you need to experience something to appreciate it, because... Normally, people are talking about um, having children when they say something like that, and that just seems like a horror show. Like, well, you'll you'll want to have a child after you have the child, and you're stuck. But uh, in this case, um, I, I think Live at the Hideout's the next best thing into appreciating the power and uh, skills of screaming females at I think the absolute height of their achievements. Yes, <laughs> sorry. Um, but to touch on the idea really quick, uh, and this is unplanned, bands that you kind of have to see live, where I think the live performance actually transcends the album, because usually it's the other way around just because of production issues, or, you know, we'll say recently, uh, Slater Kenny. Mm. Because, um, so I'll give you two, uh, Chelsea Wolf was a show that blew me away like no other because it was so weird. And then uh, we talked about um, Plague Vendor, where, like, the album's, I, like, I think the album's okay. But, like, the energy of the live performance is like, yeah, this is a live band and not a... Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, is that, yeah, normally you do kind of want to know the album to know what they're playing live, and this is one of those few bands that I would actually say the opposite. The only Screaming Females album you could have is Live at the Hideout, and I think you would absolutely uh, love the album, even having never heard any of their other music. There's so much energy and it's recorded by Steve Albini and it just sounds great too. It's got that like 12 minute version of, uh, lights out. 
Yeah, it's not really 12 minutes, but it's like a live feature featured on our Oh, yeah. So on on uh, the last edition of Trash South Street to One Hour Space Rock, we did talk about long songs, and uh, Lights Out was one of my long songs because I, I love that song, and, and I think, I don't know if I related to Lou personally or on that podcast that it's a song that I have to be careful about listening to because I get too amped. And if I listen to it at the wrong time, then I have a lot of energy I don't know yes. what to do with. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm, uh, if you don't have that one yet, you, you need to pick it up because it's so good. I do personally. Ah, uh, okay. And that's a really, that song in particular is really good because it starts out slow. So if it's a, like a workout song, you can sort of ease into it. Yeah, it builds. Like and it builds, there's a good three, four minute build before you actually recognize it for the song it is. Yeah, and then it just goes, and then it just goes bad shit. Yes. Uh, anyway. Which I love. The fifth, of six uh, albums that I'm talking about. Uh, 2014, Angel Olsen's Burn Your Fire for No Witness, uh, an album that really blew me away when I heard it. And I think the thing that makes Angel Olsen so great is that uh, this was her, up until this point, she was primarily a folk singer, uh, a Midwestern act uh, making kind of solo acoustic music. And she had toured with uh, Bonnie Prince Billy, and kind of moved in those circles. And then she made an album, Burn Your Fire for No Witness, which maintained the same uh, disarming and uh, uh, kind of intimidating intensity in the lyrics and performance and just emotional rawness, but then added so much uh, 50s and 60s inspired rock music and it was such a great combination to have that super modern voice and songwriting with a kind of a throwback and then also like a really, in, I think, emotionally intimidating album and the things that she sang on this album and these songs. Uh, I, I kind of always like to say that I think that Angel Olsen is like, a, she's a character out of uh, David Lynch, that she would be the Chanteuse in a David Lynch movie that she's kind of unsettling, but also... Uh, completely gorgeous and disarming and enchanting and unexpected. Uh, and it's like such a mix of uh, adoration and terror when you see her sing her songs and the look on her face and the intensity that she brings to everything. And uh, she's only gone on to make uh, great albums since then and ha actually, I think, appeared on a bunch of year-end lists for... Uh, uh, for all mirrors, and I've seen her on the decades lists that I was reading about. But this is this is my personal favorite: is the uh, Angel Olsen at her at her rockingest and uh, the freshest I think that she ever sounded because she really kind of came out of nowhere from from making the folk music she was making and making such a great rock album. Uh, so finally, I'd like to talk about not necessarily. I won't necessarily say this is the best album of the last 10 years, but it's the one that I want to talk about last. And it's all about context because it's all about what the OCs have done in the last, you know, four, three, I guess three, four years in what appears to be such a focused and deliberate move to make an album called An Odd Exit's and then make a name change. They were clearly signaling that they were moving into a new thing. It coincided with uh, the reformation, uh, new members of 
this era of the OCs, the name change to OCs, and starting to write what I kind of called their D&D material, uh, heavy references on science fiction and fantasy and things that I grew up with. Uh, I, every album cover looking like it's from the Fiend Folio uh, for AD&D. And uh, I think, well, who knows if it's culminating or if they have more in them, but this year's Face Stabber, I think, is one of the albums of the decade, not just for the sonic achievement, for being so full of great songs and sounds and um, just bananas, bog and kraut rock, but subject-wise, it made me really think about how I think when you're a kid, or when I was a kid, and I think other people see the same thing, there was still all these remnants of science fiction, pre-Star Wars science fiction, uh, when science fiction was really for weirdos as opposed to like uh, children's franchises. And um, there was lots of uh, kind of psychedelic and, well, frankly, it was very heavily influenced by drug culture. And then you have the weird folkiness of it, but... And very fetishistic sex in a lot of cases. Yeah, like the women were all like Frank Frazetta inspired and they were all uh, kind of warrior women, but at the same time uh, exaggerated uh, physically, you know, like fantasy women, but also very powerful. And um, to me, I don't... Do you, when you were playing or like inhabiting that world, when you were playing with like a toy... Yeah. I realized that all sci-fi worlds were one world. Like Yeah. It, yeah, like like heavy metal, like everything in heavy metal takes place in the same world in my mm-hmm. mind where it's like there's the post-apocalyptic desert world and the orky hobbit world and the sci-fi world and they were just all the same world. It wasn't like different experiences and that's and like you would have a transformer and a GI Joe and a Lego man that was in a homemade spaceship and a toy from mask and a a dinosaur and a he-man and army men and they just all were dropped in the same dimension and they were all the same thing yeah it's basically every toy that had two arms and two legs yeah or at least least a face of some sort and and they interact and i feel like that's what these oc's albums are like and that's like the kraut rock of uh the the Krautrock is the equivalent of that kind of child's imagination where you have all these things blended into one product and and it's kind of the perfect uh, platter for that a perfect frame for that and kind of and then it hit me that and it, and not hit me I mean I've thought about this specifically but I didn't link the two is that right now we're supposed to be existing at a time where this the internet is supposed to be dissolving all of these barriers in our minds and it doesn't it just reinforces them and it 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 puts people into echo chambers and they become more strident about the delineation uh and it's it's like a real life dystopia where like these things that are supposed to be like super valuable and helping us are actually just making everything a hundred times worse and accelerating and enabling just like the downfall of man and then like all of us i was like that's what these OCs albums are about. Like this post-apocalyptic world that these OCs albums seem to be taking place in is just like our modern psychic damage from the internet. Is that out there, Lou? No, I, I, I 
kind of see it. There's a lot of... I think... I think, the, I think actually, um, Face Stabber. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, like, they do... There's kind of... In my mind, there is an... Say, an evolving mythos between those albums. Just because stylistically, they're... Or, let's say, thematically, they tend to be similar in that they are, yeah, quasi-fantasy. Um, hmm. What's... Is it the Daily Heavy, the one that's, like, the 8-bit animation? That's, uh, Poison Stones. So, so... Legitimately... We talked about this before. The most exciting thing to happen to me in like the last five years was at the end of the Poison Stones video when he shows up at the city and it's the smoke reverser. Yeah, me too. I, was, I, I, I still I watched that a few times yeah. and I still like it. And I want them to if they if they made a movie or sold a DVD where like that expanded, where there is like that old arcade animation mm-hmm. telling whatever story that that's telling, I would be on board in yeah. a second. Um, so the juxtaposition between. The era when people, you you were forced to, as a child, express your singular point of view where you, uh, you these blended sci-fi worlds and you had to own the point of view that you put on it, being kind of a utopia in my mind, an innocent utopia, uh, contrasted with the dystopian version of that where supposedly all boundaries are torn down by the tool of the internet and we're supposed to be a a global consciousness but really all we're doing is lying about projecting our own singular point of view into this uh, bullshit echo chamber uh, to where we can claim that it's an objective truth really crystallized in these OCs records for me and I'm super excited to see where they go with it and hope who knows if they can do another one I don't know I think the great thing about the OCs is that they always surprise and that they always do something different and even if the OCs end I kind of feel like they never will because the OCs are just John Dwyer at the end of the day and he can then go on and do whatever he wants even if he's not doing it with his band or not. And I think that that's such a, I don't know that if that was the intention with this cycle of D and D records, but it is how I perceived them. And this is my decade list in my perception. And I'm happy to own it because that's all these lists should ever be is uh, one man owning his point of view as the utopia of, playing with a bunch of different toys and making them all in the same world. The lesson of that that we probably never think about uh, has taught us. So uh, thank you for listening. And we went a little long. So hopefully Lou needed material. And uh, we'll see you again and for a new topic maybe sometime. Maybe not so long next time. So uh, thanks, Lou. We'll introduce it, then we'll do some reaction fills, Jamie. Okay. So I'm going to have you react to stuff. Okay. All right. All right. Now, give me one in case, like, if you liked it. Wow, that was good, right? Super. Um, give me one if you were like, we, we agree to disagree. Uh, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> All right. So this third segment, so this third segment was recorded from 72. So 72 part one, we... I, we did sort of a piece on Greece. Now, I've, we've recorded mm. stuff before, and when we're recording it, I'm like, this is going to be a disaster. Yeah. And then when I'm like, listening to it. to it. I haven't listened to it since we did it. I no. was drunk and angry. I wasn't drunk. Well, we'll I, was, I was buzzing a little bit. So, 
that it, it always sounds better in post. Like I'll say the Nick Cave argument, literally, like I laughed out loud once I heard it. That word. This is awkward. It's awkward. <laughs> Lou and I have been in many of tiffs, and the, the reason I think I got so mad is because. <laughs> I specifically has said in the past, like, oh, Marty Maraschino <laughs> is my favorite character. Yeah. And, you know, usually if Lou goes, someone's is my favorite character, I make a note to try to yeah. find that said character. So that's why I got kind of annoyed. But, so, so it, but is, it is what it is. I don't care. Yeah. So, it's, so you're going to listen to that now. <laughs> so what do you want to talk? Do you want to... Um... Uh, let me talk about this. Okay. I did see... Something I've been meaning to see in a while. Oh, okay, and then we'll go really into uh, our topic, but let's go into... So, so I finally got around to watching Grease because it was on Netflix. Yeah. I had never seen Grease before. Of course, I saw Grease too. Hmm. Specifically for this podcast. Yes. And I was telling people about my experience with Grease. They're kind of looking at me like I was a weirdo. And it's like it's like how I feel about other people when I describe a movie and they don't they haven't seen it. So, I get okay. So, what did I think of Grease? Let's see. Both some notes. So first, I got surprised that uh, the, the who's music, your favorite character? Uh, um, Frenchie. Really? Yeah. Okay. But we'll get to that in a second. Blah. Frenchie's the best. She would be my girlfriend. Okay. Um, so here's so let's talk about Frenchie first. All right. So so Frenchie is basically the female equivalent of Eugene, except she gets to be a pink lady. I wouldn't say presumably she... because she's a slut. I wouldn't even say that. No, I'd say that's the requirement for being a pink lady is you're a slut. Is it? They all, yeah, well, they actually, they joke about her name. Frenchie, because oh, she yeah. says it's smoking, and then uh, Leslie uh, Rizzo's like, no, she lesbian. likes to slip the tongue. She is. She made up, that's why she wasn't really pregnant at the end. Oh, no. She's like, I'm not pregnant, wink, wink, because I was trying to get all these babes drunk. I don't think so. Um, so go ahead. Oh, Frenchie's also possibly a witch, because she uses her... <laughs> Powers to turn poor turn lights John on. into a slut and turn lights on. Did you see the one part where like uh, they're they do beauty school dropout mm-hmm. and the one uh, waitress is like, well, you better. I forget what it is, but she goes yeah. to turn on the light and she totally yeah. misses yeah. and the light goes on. Oh, and then um, yeah, she conjures the big crapola. The big crapola. That's yeah, it's the a best. Bit. So so here's what I thought. All right, so that was a back to the beach reference. They know that, or who cares? So I guess uh, first thing I was part of that Barry Gibb. Sort of, I guess, did the, the original music for it. Oh, okay. And you can tell because, like, the actual song Grease is the worst fucking song in the thing. Okay, yeah. Like, it's like, Grease! And it's because it's very Bee Gees and I can't stand the fucking Bee Gees. Okay. What? I, know, I just like said, okay. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I was, I, I like, I don't mind Barry Gibb. I like Goodbye Stranger with Super Tramp. That's the, that's the, yeah, but, <laughs> well, anyway, you're getting straight. You know, you have that beach opening and then, like, okay. Um, I like how the nurse in the the, uh, the high school dresses like she's fucking Florence Nightingale. Yes. Well, that's the way he was back then. But I was legitimately surprised it was like 15 minutes in before you hear your first song. Mm-hmm. What's the first song? Where they're basically each talking their version oh, of the song. Oh, tell summer. me more, tell me more. And she's more. like, I met a boy, and she was nice, and you know, Danny's equal to, hey, you, I was deep ditching this chick, and they're like, oh, Danny, you're so cool, and whatnot. Oh, I like the line, rocking and rolling and whatnot. Yeah. So, so I guess Danny is sort of a poser, right? Is that part of it? I don't think he's a poser. Well, he's trying to like. He's a he's a T bird, and he falls in love with like a um, a preppy. Yeah. More or less, like a, a nice girl, and yeah. he ends up like kind of just mm-hmm. trying to change for yeah. her, and then she changes for him. All right. So. And then they fly away. 
So a few other notes. Well, end of, end I don't think so. I have a theory of what happens. Okay. There. Um, I get there. I like when when they meet for the first time and she's like, you know, with her not really at all Australian accent, even though she's from Sydney, Australia. Yeah. She's like, "What have you been doing?" He's like, "Oh, you know, I've been rocking and rolling and whatnot, rocking and rolling and whatnot." If Jess would kill you, this was one of Jess's favorite oh, well, movies back in the day. I feel bad for her. It's a good uh, movie. It's all right. It's like, like the music was catchy. Um, Grease Lightning. I do appreciate so Grease Lightning. I appreciate Grease Lightning because it has the most quote unquote musical setup ever. Yeah. Where they're just hanging out. It's like I mean it's the most like set dressing where they're like, you know, they're sitting around their car and just like quadraphonic. <laughs> we got you know, it's just it's weird. It's so it's so cool. it's so whatever the opposite of subtle is. But I do like it. I also appreciate that it said the chicks will cream. Yes. Even though it was kind of a gross image. So Rizzo, again, I, I maintain is... Why do you think she's a lesbian? Seriously. Because she likes to, to like, This box. is Stucker Channing. Well, how so? How does she... You can tell. She's, she's one... trying to get all the girls drunk at the uh, she party. She's not. And then she goes out with Kaniki. Yeah, because he's And he like, knocks uh, her up. He doesn't knock her up. She's not pregnant. Well, he she thinks she is. Yeah, she says that so people... She's like, oh, I had two sex guys. You don't like the look at me. Uh, I thought you would like Sandra D. That they're making fun of Sandy. I do. Yeah. Although, although I don't appreciate that at the end when Sandy's like, I haven't been a good friend to you, Rizzo. I'm like, no, they've treated you like fucking shit the yeah, whole movie. Yeah, true. I'm like, what kind of doormat are you? I have the word slut off. Oh, I guess it's at the... Uh, the dance. The dance. Where the there's dance a... is super cool. And yeah. how my favorite is trying to get into the... Uh, what's the... Rocket, the, the, the host. Oh, yeah. The host is just sleezing around... Uh, so, Marty uh, is my favorite. Marty and Kaniki are my favorites. Who's Marty? Marty Maraschino, like in the cherry. I don't remember. <laughs> she's the other girl that has, she has the robe and she has all those pictures. No idea who this is. She's one of the Does she have like pigtails? No. So oh my she's God. not the one who's Rizzo. She's not the one who's Frenchie. It's Marty. I don't remember oh this Marty. Oh my God. She has the robe and she's showing the pictures to Sandy. She's like hanging out with Sandy, like Sam, like when they're doing. I legit. Did you watch the movie? The whole movie. I have no idea who this person is. Oh my god! But even when I texted you, Marty is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Anyway, um, I'd also note that it's very sad that Eugene. Despite being the nerd, clearly did not get into college because he was not. I think for... you're obsessed with with Eugene. Will you let me speak. <laughs> Jesus Go ahead. Christ. Um, no, Eugene clearly did not go to college because he wasn't in Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> yes. I'm waiting for this, and then I'll have my big revenge. Yeah, well, she looks old there. I'm not placing it. Oh, my God. I cannot believe this. Sandy. Well, we better move on. Um, so, <laughs> this is going to be a repeat of the Nick Cave incident. No, I just can't believe... Wouldn't you be like, well, who's Marty? When I text you, Marty's my favorite. And Maybe, you, I probably knew and forgot. So again, Didi Khan. She's the one... Okay, when they're in doing the dance-off. Yeah. She's the one with the, the host that's like, hey, rockers and rollers, that guy. She's the the pink lady trying to, like, fuck him. I don't remember at all. <sighs> okay. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, since someone didn't even watch the movie. I did watch, so okay. here's my theory. I tell this is really going to go over because you seem to be in a mood. I'm not in a mood. I just can't believe you don't know I who don't Marty remember. is. Does she have a song? 
She's in like most of the songs. <laughs> so what's your go ahead? What's your? No, story? let's move on. No, seriously. Let's move now on. Now I have to. <laughs> you could cut this out. All right, all right. See, this is my theory. So, and I got this when at the dance off mm-hmm. when John Travolta, when Danny Zuko and Cha Cha are dancing. That chick. I swear to God, I don't remember her at all. <laughs> She's like, you gotta use perfume, and she's putting perfume on the pictures after they try to pierce Sandy's ears. I remember the perfume. I cannot remember this woman at all. All right. Oh, well. Anyway, I think. Okay, no, I'm listening. (laughs) That Dirty Dancing is a sequel to Grease, and Danny Zuko and Cha Cha are Patrick Swayze and his dancing partner in the beginning. And Penny. Is that Penny the one who gets the abortion? Yes. So I think they go, it's time would be right. And he's kind of sleezing around young chicks. <laughs> and that's why he ends up in, in Donnie Darko. Doesn't ring a bell. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay. But anyway, so the albums of the decade. The albums of the so decade. So did you like Grease? Or? It was all right. It was all right. Like I thought it was weird. Like I said, the, the thing I thought was really weird is like it was like 15 minutes. Before the first song, really. I mean, there's like the overture in the beginning when they're on the beach, but I don't really count that because it's not a toad. Did you like Blue Moon when they have their, their mooning and they get in trouble for mooning? Or do you remember that part? I don't remember that part. <laughs> I think you like missed something. <laughs> I might be on it. I remember. I remember. Here she comes. Here she comes. I remember right. Grease Lightning. I remember. Uh, I got chills. They multiply. That's the end. Went. When Didi Do you Khan, remember when um like John Travolta like tries out for like the football team? He's like trying yeah. the different okay. Yeah. I re- and then uh, of course so uh, You remember Kinnicky like kicking Hingham? everybody out and like yeah. in his car and, and he's then like, they're gonna race with uh, Crater Face. Yeah. And his fire Scorpion, car. whatever his name was, I forget. He's, I think the gang is the Scorpions. Oh, uh, okay. I forget his name. Um I think he's the only reoccurring character in the first and second one, to uh, be honest. Yeah. yeah. He keeps dropping failing out of school. I guess so. So one last thing about Didi Khan, Frenchie, my favorite character. Frenchie, who's Poor in it as much as Marty. Yeah, Frenchie has her own song. And it's she's true. in the sequel. That's true. She's yes. recurring. It's, yeah. And like I said, I'm perplexed by the fact that she doesn't seem like she belongs with the pink ladies, who are bad girls, except she clearly has uh, loose morals. I guess. Her, hook her with a heart of gold. I guess. So anyway, Dee Dee kind of reminds me a lot of Talia Shire. Talia Shire is Connie in The Godfather. She's Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Okay. Sophia Coppola's aunt. <laughs> wow, this is... I'm going to be deleting about 20 minutes of fucking audio. No. Um, basically, so I'm like, they remind me a lot alike, and Dee Dee Khan ended up marrying Talia Shire's... In The Godfather? Husband. No, in real life. Oh, okay. Oh, um, what's his name? Uh, from Rushmore. Max? The, the Coconut Express guy, or whatever the fuck. Let, all right, let's just move on, dude. This is... I thought this is like I never had anything go worse than this fucking segment. Um, Mount Rush, the main character, like the guy with the glasses. Oh, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, so yeah, yes, Jason, yes. Jason Schwartzman's mom is Talia Shire. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you you probably know where she yeah, is. Yeah, I forget what other movie that she was in. Oh, um, that movie, uh, uh, Hannah. Was she in Hannah? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yes. So anyway, yeah. So they look, they sound a lot alike. They kind of look alike, and it's it's sort of weird that. Tally Shire got divorced from someone a year later. Dee Dee Khan was married to that guy. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, worst segment ever. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Anyway. Yes. 
No. So reactions. Wow, that was good. Eh. 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 And Rizzo's not a lesbian. Anyway, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> so anyway, that's our very unique episode of Trash House Street. They had all Frankenstein together. Uh, you'll probably be getting episode 73 a lot sooner than you think because yeah. we've already recorded an episode and it's half edited. So you might for the first time get like wow. episodes on a weekly basis. No I think we should like, ta- like do another episode after this just on like, The Lighthouse. and. Um... Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so for now, we're going to cut it, and I'm going to save it so things don't get fucked up, and we'll see you later. Later. Bye. That's Love Roller Coaster. Is it a cover? Yes, it is a cover. Yeah, I was going to say. Now I want to kind of listen to that song. It's a horrible laugh, but... It was a Beavis and Butthead to America. Yes. Oh, look, get it all.